everyone. Joel Junker here with Cameron Brooks, and welcome to another episode, a very special episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. This is the first time we've had a guest author as our um, uh, as our podcast guest. Uh, if you don't count Roger Cameron, uh, who is the author of PCS to Corporate America, who was one of the guests on our 100th anniversary podcast. But in this one, I interview Francis Cole Jones. Francis wrote the book, How to Wow, and several other books uh, based on the How to Wow uh, philosophy. And How to Wow is a book on how to influence anyone. And she specifically is an expertise on helping people present the best version of themselves. I found out about Francis through listening to a podcast called The Art of Manliness, where uh, the host interviewed her, asking her about some interviewing techniques. And I was intrigued um, because she talked about this concept of our ability to influence is 55% of our body language, 38% uh, tone of voice, and actually 7% of what we say. And that just really resonated with me in coaching junior military officers in interviewing and making the transition. So for several years, I've been recommending this book to many people who uh, need to work on interpersonal skills or learning how to build rapport in an interview. I asked her if she'd be a guest and she graciously agreed and I enjoyed the one hour time that we spent with one another. And I hope that you enjoy learning from her as well in this very special edition of the podcast. Francis, thank you uh, again for, for taking time this week to uh, or today and being our guest. I've been a big fan for probably three years now. And Thank after you. reading your book, How to Wow, and and following you, and and uh, so um, you were just telling me that you have a little bit of exposure to the military. Um, if you would just tell a little bit of the audience yes. uh, about your exposure to exposure to it. I do uh, multiple branches of the military. My brother was in the Marine Corps. My husband was in the Air Force, and my nephew is currently stationed in Virginia Beach in the Navy. So I. Um, yes, my, my love for the armed services is complete. <laughs> and you said I, you did a little I, research with your brother before you, you got on. I those. did. My brother transitioned to a corporate job. I mean, he, he works now. Um, and, and so he had a, you know, and he always has a lot to say, <laughs> which I think is often the way with brothers and sometimes with Marines. Um, but, but he had a lot of, a lot of thoughts and feelings about all of this. Um, which I hopefully will be able to add into everything that I already know, and so that I can be as useful as possible. Francis, the 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 main reason I wanted here is to talk a little bit how, about how to wow, taking the, from yeah. your from your book specifically around, you know, being able to influence yourself, influence others in an interview because. Uh, that's what what we do in interviews is that we're selling, we're solving it, we're solving a problem for that recruiter. And right, we're, and I, we're persuading them. Go ahead. Well, and it's one of those things that it's so often people hire not based on specific skill sets. You know, so specific skill sets are really important for some things. Like I think, in order to be a doctor or an engineer or an astronaut, you definitely have to have a very particular skill set. Um, or otherwise, you know, things, bad things happen. But the rest of the time, people are, you know, making decisions based on what are known as soft skills. So is this somebody I want to 
um, see at the water cooler at two o'clock in the morning? Is this somebody who's going to leave dirty dishes in the sink? Um, is this somebody that I would feel comfortable having lunch with? Um, you know, five days out of the week. So it, it's one of those things that isn't talked about a lot. Um, and I think that it should be because it actually does influence so much of the decision making around who gets hired and who doesn't. And being able to make that that interpersonal interpersonal connection. But before we jump into that, real quick, Francis, because I want to give I want to give the let you give the, our listeners who may not all of them might be familiar with you. How first of all did you go from being an editor at a book company to being the psych expert on you know really presenting yourself and being a coach to help people presenting themselves? Well, I mean, I, I am living proof of my own theory that you don't necessarily need to have the skill set in order to be in the business <laughs> because I was working in publishing and we hired media trainers to work with my authors. And I looked at that and I thought, um, I can do it. And if I'm being super honest, I thought I can think I can do it a little better. Um, so I quit my publishing job and I got myself trained. Um, you know, and that was basically just going around and talking to people who were already doing it and volunteering my time and then just taking every single course available. Um, and then, you know, I put out my shingle and I said, this is what I do for a living. And those are my credentials. Um, that said, you know, they've gotten me, I've written three books and I've been in business since 1997. Um, and I have an app called Interview Wow, which is available for the iPhone and the iPad. So all of those things um, have flown out of my uh, seeming lack of expertise. <laughs> but I do have the ability, as one of my clients once said to me, she said, you could talk a dog off a meat truck. Um, so I have the gift of the gab, and that comes in handy for things like this. But one of the things that I do want everybody to notice, and you and I talk, spoke a little bit about it before this started, is that you know people actually only remember 7% of the words that you say. So 38% of the impact comes from tonal quality, what your voice is doing while you're speaking, and 55% from what your body is doing while you're talking. And that's something that they don't talk a lot about in school. So it's it's not only knowing the answer to the question, but then it's how you give the answer to the question. Um, and that's my particular area of expertise is the physicality and the tonality um, of answering the questions. Yeah, and that's why we wanted, I wanted to tap into that today. And, yeah. and, and I was mentioning before we started, I discovered you and your book, How to Wow, um, and which is recommended often into many people in our program, by the way, um, on the podcast, The Art of Manliness. And I think I alluded to this too when we were setting this up, that when I listened to that podcast, I bookmarked it and um, also got the book. And then my oldest daughter, who's now a senior in college, as we were driving around, around uh, the Southeast, visiting schools, and she was doing interviews, we listened to that podcast on the 738.55 um, statistic from the art of manliness. And we talked about that. And I've always wanted you to be a guest here. Um, so um, with that, uh, I'm excited to, to now set up 
a scenario for you um, on the military and why I think that you can offer so much value. So here's a theory I, first of all, I've proved. The number one reason people get ruled out of interviews, you've already alluded to in the beginning, that they did not make that, that interpersonal connection. How did, they, how did you leave them feeling at the end of the interview? Do they want to spend more time with you? Whether that's rapport or likability or whatever it may be. But here's what I think happens, Francis, from, from a military standpoint. When an officer goes into an interview, that recruiter is in a position of power. They have the yes or no to give that, pers that person a yes or no. A military officer has been taught to go into a position of power and come in and give just the information that they've been asked. And the longer that they spend in time in there, and the more they talk, the more trouble that they could potentially get into. So what they want to do is get, get in and get out, don't get hurt, which is great mental model when you're in the military and your commander calls you in and asks you questions. Like, just get in there, answer the questions, don't say any more than I have to, and let me get out. But not a great model for interviewing. So we have some phenomenal talented officers. I know they're talented because I see their evaluations. I get to know them over a year period of time that can't bring that charisma or that interpersonal connection to an interview. They're stoic, a little bit reticent, even keeled. How can I help them? What can we do? Or what advice do you have? Well, I think one of the ways to think about it too, and I, and I find the same thing occurs when I'm working with professional athletes. So baseball pitchers, golf, any any kind of a professional athlete, they're trained. If you walk out to the, you know, if the game is going poorly and you're the pitcher, you can't have a low-grade nervous breakdown on the mound, right? You can't let everybody in the stadium know. Um, and it's one of the problems that if you watch, for example, and it's a really useful exercise. If you watch the Tiger Woods apology, um, which I would think you can still pull up on, on YouTube, I'm not sure. But one of the reasons why it didn't work and it did not resonate is because he's trained not to show emotion. When, again, he misses the hole in one, I don't know golf terminology, you all know, but whatever, when, he's, when he makes a bad play, you can't, again, you know, smash your golf club over your knee and have, I mean, you can't if you're John McEnroe, but, um, so it's, it, it's the same kind of thing. It's, you're trained not to expose others to your feelings and serves you well in a lot of situations, doesn't serve you well in interviews. But one of the things I recommend is I would have all of your candidates videotape themselves answering questions, and then watch the tape with the sound off. And that is so useful because if they watch themselves, it's like, do I look interested in what my interviewer is asking me? Do I look interesting? Do I look animated? Do I, you know, do I look like I'm talking about cancer, but we were really talking about sandwiches? Um, and so I think that that can be a really useful way to just have a sense of how you're coming across in interviews um, or giving speeches or any kind of a presentation. It's super useful to watch yourself with the sound off. And then maybe say, okay, how can I be a little bit more animated? If it's not a question that's a life or death question, how can I show that ease in my bearing uh, that will make somebody relax around me? 
what are some of those things you know, that people can do? You know, it's such, I to actively with, like, create like, camaraderie? Hey, yeah, move oh, yeah. forward. Yeah, yeah, move forward. Let your eyebrows move, move up. I mean, is, is it that type of thing? Or, or how do we get them to be natural, authentic, but yet, can't just sit there as the person is talking to you the entire because that's the other thing too is a lot of these interviews end up being conversational right. where a recruiter is talking a lot and the military officers taught when some of the rank or senior is talking to you sit there and basically stare at them right and and you're not supposed to move and interrupt and interject and laugh and eyes go up and nod what should what kind of advice would you have for them? Well, somebody's there's so much packed in here right now already. How do you get? What do we say to them? Like do this, do that. How do we get them to be? What well, can natural? be really useful is you. Well, I always say that an interview starts well 24 hours beforehand. But for the purposes of this, um, let's say the interview starts when you get out of your car, um, if you're driving there. And what I want people to do is I want them to think of three small talk topics, because that's going to break the ice and start a conversation from the time that the person, you know, greets you from the time or the receptionist greets you. So, you know, how, you know, I saw that you guys look like you have a great restaurant downstairs. Can you tell me about that? Um, oh, I'm thinking about, you know, meeting up with some friends nearby after my interview. Is there somewhere that you recommend we can go? So have those three small talk topics in your back pocket because that will, again, just start that easy flow of conversation prior to getting into the hardcore interview. And so it gives you something to talk about as you're walking down the hallway. It also is really handy because if the interview has gone really well, sometimes, you know, as you leave, the adrenaline is wearing off and you just pick a topic out of thin air and then you can just blow the interview sky high. So it sounds incredibly pedantic, but I would pick three small talk topics ahead of time. The other thing I think it can be useful is really comment on what people have decided to decorate their office with. You know, if they've decided, if someone has made the decision to frame their college diploma, they want you to comment on it. So <laughs> so if the diploma is there, ask about it. If they have a, you know, the, the wastebasket of their favorite sports team, comment on it. Um, all of those things. The only thing I do caution people about commenting on are family photographs, only big for two reasons. Um, sometimes, you know, their kid just got suspended that morning and, you know, you don't want to be the one that goes, oh, great looking family. And they think, oh, I'm going to kill that kid when I get home. Um, so I or and or sometimes they haven't updated them since they got divorced. So I stay away from family photos. But trust me, if there's a magic eight ball or a college diploma or a sports thing or any, <laughs> any non-controversial type of decoration in the office, that's a great thing to just pick up and chat about. Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I bring people to my office, um, and I saw this in your office, for example, you when you were doing a video, and I'm going to comment on it a little bit later. I've got a question for you. Your wall was full of books. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't. I'm not going to ask you yet, but I, when we're closing out, and uh, I've got a bookshelf full of books, but I also have a, a, a model Airstream sitting on top of my bookshelf. It's curious, right? But I've never had anybody right. ever ask me about it. Ever. Right. You're dying to talk about, about it. Like, hey, why do you why do you have a bookshelf? <laughs> all these books, and you have a model Airstream on the top of all top of all that. 
Nobody's ever asked me that. It's such an easy way to make that connection and get somebody started on a hobby or a passion that they're just longing to waste 20 minutes of your interview. And they will. They'll leave and they'll be like, I like that guy. I like fishing. He likes fishing or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a great and easy way to make that connection in an informal way. You know, what we found is a lot of times the recruiters want to take the candidates off topics because they know it's the – you know, in the military, it's unlike any other job. Their resignation's in a year before they get out. So by the time they're interviewing, unlike the rest of the world, they've already resigned from their job. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody out there is interviewing, well, very few are out there interviewing and have already resigned by their, for their job. They wait, get that job off, and they resign. Military's got to do it the other way around. So these recruiters get it. They want to loosen them up. They relax. So they'll go off topic. They'll help them. They'll go off topic. But often the candidate will just answer the question and not go with them. Um, for, for example, um, I remember having a conversation with a candidate that just came back from a honeymoon. And I said, well, what did you guys do? He said, we went on a cruise. And I said, wow, that was amazing. Where did you go? He said, well, we went to, I mean, it was just like this. We went to the Caribbean. Well, how many days did you go? We went five. Well, what did you do that was fun on the cruise? Well, we did this, this, this. And I kept asking a question. He never once asked me a question. And I said, Jim, an appropriate part of the time is to be like, Joel, have you ever been on a cruise? And so I think, again, they're trained so much just to answer the question that's back in front of them. And the expectation is in an interview is I've got a list of questions. I'm going to ask you, tell me about yourself, your biggest accomplishment, your biggest weakness, the time you failed, and ask you if you have any questions. That's going to be it. But you bring up such a good point that the people want to engage you in a conversation and go there with it with them and it's okay to ask them questions back and engage in the dialogue with them yeah and another nice thing to do and i honestly i remember so distinctly i got a i got a job that someone was so not interested at the beginning in hiring me to do um because i'd got down a really deep dive on their linkedin pro- profile and way 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 down deep i discovered that this person who is now running a bank um, had gone to uh, Yale Divinity School. Now, that's fascinating to me. So I just, you know, I, I opened with that. I said, can, may, I, may, I, may I ask you, I saw this thing on your resume that I just was so intrigued by. And if you don't mind talking to me about it, I'd love to hear more about how you ended up there and how you ended up here. And, and honestly, it's why I got that, that, that job. So, I mean, you don't want to do such a, you know, a creepy dive, you know, like, oh, I saw those pictures from your 4th of July barbecue. That's that upsets people. <laughs> but, but if you have the chance to do some research into the person ahead of time and say, you know, tell me a little bit about your story. Like, how did you end up here? Um, because I saw that you'd done this and this and this. And it seems like you had a really cool path. Um and I think a lot of people would, would you know, if, it, if it is sparked by a genuine interest on your part, they'll respond to that. Curious on the 738.55 mm-hmm. um, metric, you get somebody that's a client that, whether it's a presentation, an executive that's just interacting with the board that's smart, skilled, but just kind of stoic, even keeled. Uh, great with the contact. They've nailed the 7%. They've got that down. What types of things do you do to train them on the 3855 in addition to, or take one of those in addition to, hey, let's record you and without the sound. What else do you do to help them 
learn more about how to express themselves? We tell, I think one of the things that can be very useful is to have a story because the voice naturally gains a lot of um, tonal variation once you start telling a story. So, for example, as you mentioned, people are often asked, what's your greatest weakness or what's your greatest strength? Um, and I want people to say, you know, you can't say, well, I'm a really great leader. I really love to lead. Um, leading is my favorite thing to do. That does, Nothing happens in my brain, right? So if you can right. tell me a story. One time, you know, my platoon and I were doing this, and this was the situation, and this is how I got myself out of it. Oh, okay. And all of your voice is going to follow along with all of those things. So they don't need to be long stories. But if you have a super, super short story for your greatest strength and your greatest weakness, not only will it enhance your tonality and your facial expressions, because we're all more animated when we're telling stories, um, but it will be so much more memorable for the person that you're talking to. So I, I, that, I think, is the easy and fast way to make sure that that happens. And how do you... What? How have you been in, like changed some of your methods or thoughts as we've moved to this world of Zoom? You know, we 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 we've we used to we used to we will continue at some point in time do in-person interview conferences again, but we just did our April. We have to do again our June, um, where we'll try to do 400 interviews with 440 candidates over two days. And it'll all be done over Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Like, what adjustments do people need to make? You need to be the, so television flattens the personality. Um, so you got people who are already having trouble with a lot of expression and a lot of bringing a lot of you know personality to the table are going to find themselves even more hindered by having through these mediums. So you really have to practice ahead of time. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but I do want everyone to practice out loud. Um, and it can feel really stupid to do that. Just you know, One of the reasons I had to write my own book was all, one, with the time I was uh, started, everyone would say, stand in front of your bathroom mirror and practice. And that to me is just horrible, right? So I want the people to- The mirror's horrible? That's not a good stand, practice? Yeah, not to me. I don't want oh. to stand in front of the mirror. I find I find I find right. my it, it short circuits my brain and I get <laughs> hung up on what I look like and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so what I, what I want people to do is practice your answers to questions while you're walking or you're running. Because what it does is it embeds the information in your body completely differently and it also um it, you can practice out loud. It's easy enough to walk along. It looks like you're talking on the telephone. Um, but it, 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 once you're doing it out loud, you notice, oh, I have a plot hole here. Oh, I have no idea how I'm getting from point A to point B. But it will help you then bring that same kind of energy and animation to the Zoom meeting. I think that people need to do them standing, again, because you're going to be more animated um, if you're standing than if you're sitting. So I have been highly recommending buying the Versa desk. They're having a big sale mm -hmm. right now. It's a standing desk. So stand up while you're doing it. I want people to wear blue. Blue is the color we trust the most, and it photographs best. So uh, within those possible shades of blue, I'm talking about kind of a cornflower blue. It looks really well on camera. Um, other colors are much harder to light. Um, 
I think that I want you to check your lighting scheme, speaking of which. You know, you don't want to look like you're in the witness protection program. You don't want to look like you've just been growing mushrooms in the basement. Um, you need to check your background. Is there anything, you know, it's hard to say I'm a real detail person if the ficus plant behind you is dead. Um, because no, then you're not, right? <laughs> right so, right. so all of these things start to add up. But the main thing is that you need to be even more animated than is going to feel comfortable. Like you were already uncomfortable being animated, and now you're going to be more uncomfortable. So, just you have to lean into that. With 55% being the body language, mm-hmm. and now they can really only see from the the chest to the head with right the 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 frames in the back and the bookshelf your face facial expressions really becomes the body language it seems like yeah and you have some recommendations from your from your blog about the raisin face and the pumpkin face I know, and everyone feels ridiculous doing it, but I think it's one of these times again you just kind of have to get over it it's an it's a it's a thing that um actors do to warm up their faces and in fact supermodels do to warm up their faces my crazy supermodel clientele told me that they do it too but anyway first you make your face as small as a raisin so you just squinch it squinch it squinch it up so tightly and then you make your face as big as a jack-o'-lantern and you open your mouth as wide as possible and you open your eyes as wide as possible and you go back and forth and you do that about 10 times because the trouble is, is that when we're nervous, obviously our muscles tense up, and that includes all the muscles in your face. And I, I think you have it's either 44 or 48 muscles in your face, all of which now have begotten, become more tense. So you have even less expression. So you have to relax those muscles in your face. So yes, the pumpkin raisin face exercise. <laughs> And that's the purpose behind it, to relax, oh, relax it to do, to do yeah. more. Yeah, and to give more animation to your face, yes. Um, you, you also have some thoughts on how to wow. Um, well, maybe before I get into this part, do you have any other insight do you think would be good for us on the 738.55 of the, the words, the tone of voice, and then the the body language that's good that you haven't expounded upon yet? Well, I feel like tonality is just, it's important to understand your own tonality um, because it's, it can be, you know, sometimes you meet people who no matter what they say, they stay in the same tonal register the whole time they're talking, and after a while, you just can't listen anymore because your it makes your brain hurt, right? Right. No dynamic. Um, we call it no dynamic range. Right. So you want to make sure that you have you're using the full range of what you've got. And one of the ways that I have my clients practice doing this, and again, you, you're going to feel ridiculous, and that's that. Get over it. Um, is if you read children's books out loud. Because it is impossible to read about the mama bear and, and the baby bear. And your voice follows along. Um, so that is a great way to notice if you're varying your tone. And it, I, I have a CEO who's such a big hairy deal, Mr. Million Billionaire with the bodyguards and the whole thing. And he was furious when I made him start reading children's books. But it made a huge difference in his ability to use his voice um, and keep people engaged. You, what? How many of your clients like? What do you do with an introvert? That they're just the natural 
they're, they're being themselves. You know, you hear that a lot. You got to be yourself in an interview, be yourself. Yet sometimes being, we want them to be themselves. We don't want them to say anything that's not themselves, but we got to push to the edge of that comfort zone to create that emotional connection. Like if you take that CEO, how in training can you get like somebody that it is more of an introvert right? that or, and thoughtful and a listener and, and is not really jumping in? What kinds of things can they think of or models when they have to jump out? Well, I have two suggestions. Um, one is to be, to pick somebody who you imagine would handle the interview brilliantly. Just someone, you know, are you, is George Clooney, do you need to be George Clooney in this interview? So it's it's embodying that persona. You don't need to embody it, you know, all the time. Once you get the job, you can be Clooney sometimes and you can, you know, turn off Clooney. But it's about allowing yourself to express, you know, I'm, I'm, trust me, when I'm not working, I can be extremely introverted and completely personality free, but that's not my job right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you pick that person that you want to be in that moment. So the other thing that can be, um, well, two things, you can pick three adjectives that you want the interviewer to use about you when you leave the room. So this guy was forthcoming, he was thoughtful, and he was confident. Okay, I am going to see if I can get that recruiter to call me and say that back to me. Um, And just holding those three adjectives in your mind can be very helpful. Uh, And then in mind, if you will. Yeah. And then the other thing that can be very useful, and there was a study that was done, maybe it was the University of Chicago, I would have to check, but you essentially are writing like a journal entry for tomorrow. So ahead of time, you write out every single thing about the interview. I picked my three small talk topics. I arrived there 10 minutes early. I made a point of speaking to the receptionist. Um, I didn't sit in the waiting room and look at my phone. I... You know, I blah, 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 blah. Every every single thing, you write it out exactly as you want it to occur. And something about writing it all out ahead of time can help you to realize where, you know, and I was friendly and engaged when I was asked about this, this topic. Um, I made a point of inquiring about the interviewer's background. I So just doing that and writing it all down, again, we call it like a journal entry for tomorrow. But write it as if it already happened. And that can be very helpful as well. That's, I wanted to go to one other thing that um, yeah. was really resonating with me when I was looking through on the um, uh, How to Wow book. Um, the chosen list of 15 words that say nothing at all. <laughs> and I think every generation we have our words, whatever they are. And I hear awesome, cool, uh, quite a bit. And then you've got words that make more of an impact as well. Um, t- how did you stumble upon these and, and, and some thoughts on how to be more specific than saying, 
that was a cool or an amazing or awesome experience that I had when I was serving in Europe. Right. And being more powerful. Um, well, so two, I'll break that question down to the list of the words that have the impact comes from Yale. So that was a Yale University study of the 10 most persuasive words in the English language. Um, and that is distinct from, yes, my own personal list of words that mean nothing at all, which is amazing and awesome and cool and uh, excellent. Um, hmm. So, but we, And that's what's known in my business as useless modifiers. Because I don't know what you're talking about. Is it your cell phone or, you know, uh, your vacation? I don't know. So that's what, again, the power of storytelling, just to have those stories. Tell me about what it was like to serve in Europe. What did you, what did you like most to do when you were off base? Um, what food were you exposed to that you, were, you ended up bringing the recipe home because you liked it so much? Um, all of those kinds of things. Um, would be interesting. A great place to watch people talk without using useless modifiers, and I do a lot of work in uh, with chefs for this reason, is if you watch the cooking shows. Because if you think about it, we can't smell the food and we can't taste the food. So if you watch the chefs, you know, it's all, oh, the smell of these cookies baking reminds me of sitting in my grandma's back porch and watching the laundry dry on the line and blah, 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 blah. And by the time the, you know, the cooking show is over, you either want to make the cookie or you want to call your nana. So just starting to watch cooking shows from that perspective of, okay, how are they talking about something that I can't smell or taste? Um, and it's always a little story that's going along with it. Say so they're being descriptive. They're really painting yeah. that verbal. They're painting this. They painted a verbal picture yes. of what the experience would be if they made those that that dish or those cookies. And that's what you're doing in interviewing. Is you're you have to paint the verbal picture of what they get if they hire you. You're right. This is how I'm going to make your life better once you hire me. Right. This is how I'm going to solve that problem that you have. Right. We say that all the time to, to the cans. When recruiters are interviewing you, they want to give you a yes. They don't want to give you a no. They've got a problem, and they're looking for somebody that can solve that, that problem for them. Right. And your job is to give them a compelling reason at the end of the interview that you're a person that they should bring into the second interview or give you an offer to – to help them solve that problem, and and you not only just prove that you can do it, but you could do even even more than that. And so it's it's both it's all that right. It's the, the what traits painting the verbal picture, but as you said before, um, that tone of voice, that um, that uh, body language. And I'll you know self admit we have this what we call this development and preparation program. It's also known as DPP, where we help the officers learn about business, and we also teach them interviewing. We spend a lot of time on content. And until I heard your podcast with, with Art of Manliness and read your book, I realized, but we, we, we've got it all wrong. We're spending 95% of our, we know it's an issue on body language and vo tone of voice. We spend all the time training them on, on how to connect their background, help companies understand it. And, and we're not, we give them feedback. Hey, you have to have a better dynamic range. You got to lean in a little bit more. You got to smile. But we weren't spending that amount of time giving them. And that's why I was so excited that you would do this. To talk about raisin face and pumpkin face and children's books and 
these kind of <laughs> unique, corny things that really are. How do you how do you go from this stoic, serious, all business like to, hey, I just want to have a conversation about your problem and how I can solve it, and that you want to spend time with me while I'm doing it. That's why I was so excited you'd be on here. Yeah, and 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 I think that that's one of the things that hopefully. And I'm sure they do know that you're dealing everyone you're sending in is obviously already extremely competent and extremely capable. So all they really need to work on is this X factor, these soft skills, um, these you know these these seemingly small things. You know, if, in terms of actively creating camaraderie, other things that I really recommend doing is, and it won't feel. Although, guess we're not doing it now because of the Zoom, but. Once we're doing back in-person interviews, you know, if someone says to you, "Can I offer me offer you some water or some coffee?" I always say yes. Say yes, absolutely, um, because that's a way that you create camaraderie in a meeting. Another thing that people love what you do is they love it when you write down what they what you what others tell them. When you write down when someone writes down what you say, it makes them feel special and important, and it also helps them to relax. So I think that it's a really, really useful tool to say, is it okay um, if I take some notes while we're talking because I just really want to make sure that I don't forget anything? And one of the nice things you can do with these notes is I always recommend people follow up their interview with two kinds of thank you notes. I want them to send an email thank you note within 12 hours. Um, that you know, and then I also recommend sending a snail mail thank you note because people are often so flabbergasted that you can communicate in two different mediums that they'll hire you for that reason alone. Um, and that's often where your you know your your handwritten notes that you took during the meeting come in handy because your email thank you note can be oh you know here's a link to the article that I mentioned that I thought you might be interested in. And people love that. That's a little gift with purchase in your in, in your email thank you note. But in your snail mail thank you note, you know, if they mentioned, oh, my kid's on their way to camp for the first time, or, oh, you know, Fido is at the vet, or whatever it might be, to for you to say in your snail mail thank you note, you know, I hope Fido's feeling better. Oh, my goodness. That's the guy you want to hire. Um, because they, you, they, you can already be, they can already picture you working for them. So that's, it's that's just great a, advice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, if you really want to get weird about it, I learned this from my brother again, because he would, you bring your note card and your pre-addressed stamped envelope to the interview. You go downstairs, you handwrite the note. You put it in the mailbox underneath their office. It's on their desk the next morning, and they're flipped out. <laughs> so we've gotten to the end of the interview. We've got, gotten to the end of your process. There's a question that you need, I didn't need to go all the way there, but, but yeah. This but, is good. Well, good, okay, well, good. I've, got, I've, got, I've got some closeout questions with you here. That, okay. Um, um, one is I've got a, one of the things I thought was just super insightful, and I heard on, this, on the Art of Manliness podcast, you're, and I'm not going to say, I use it now. I tell people this is what they should do, but I, I stole it from you. But I'd rather you say it. What does one do if somebody asks you a question and you just don't have the answer to it immediately? How do you respond? 
Okay. This comes from another statistic that I love, which is it comes from Ellen Langer, who's a social psychologist at Harvard. And she did a study that showed when you give people the because behind why you're asking for something, you increase the possibility of cooperation from 60 to 94%. And that's the so, old grocery line. Like, hey, listen, yeah, I've yeah. got to ah. – can I cut in because my dog's in the car or <laughs> – Yeah. Yeah. So what you always want to do is you – so in that moment, if somebody asks you something and you your mind goes completely blank, you say to them, may I think about that for a second because I want to be sure to give the best answer possible. Because there's nobody. Yeah, nobody's going to be no, like, darn it. Yeah, darn it. Yeah, who, that guy yeah, wanted who, to, who, who was that guy that wanted to give me the best answer possible? What's his problem? No. <laughs> so if, as long as you say, and the thing is, is that the other thing to always remember in an interview is you don't need to get every answer right. Interviewers are also checking to see how you cope with stress. So if you can ask for the time that you need to clear your head and, and formulate a response, they're going to notice that as well. That's one of the soft skills. How does this person handle stress? Rather than just starting to run your mouth and, and end up in a cul-de-sac of crazy. So so don't be don't hesitate to say, I'm going to think about that for a second because I want to give you the best answer possible. Awesome. I love that one. That's so good. And I tell you, when people ask me that and I give them the answer, they laugh just like you and I just laughed. That's crazy. That's right. So it's so natural. Like, that's just common sense to say that, but but I guess we don't think of like we think of interviews sometimes like the test. And right. like I said before, I think if we had a frame of mind more. No, no, no. The companies are taking recruiters are taking time to interview you. They want nobody wants to take time to rule everybody out. It's like the worst thing that we, here at Cameron Brooks we're so small, we can't interview during the week. We have to interview on Saturday morning. And the right. last thing I want to do is at, interview three or four people and at the end of Saturday morning not have anybody I want to offer. And so companies want to get to know you, but we have this frame of mind that it's sometimes this like this test and they want to stomp us. Okay, I got some rapid fire questions with you before I, we Please. run out of time. Um, top self-development books or that were on your bookshelf that you would recommend that people read to become a better leader, better presenter, in addition to, of course, Self, the the how to wow in your books, and we'll have you talk a little bit about the other books that you have before we let you go. But that's without being said. We know you. Other books you recommend? Um. Well, I <laughs> I have an unorthodox library of books. Awesome. That's um, what but, we want. See, I just used uh, awesome. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> Maybe that's not good. That's interesting. I'm I stumped the person that knows the answer to everything. Um, what, what, I mean, I recommend just because it's an interesting thing to to for people to know about. There's a really good book called "The Body Keeps the Score," and it's all about how the the experiences that we've gone through in our lives get embedded in our bodies, and they come out often in ways that we don't even realize. So it just begins to unravel that for people, and how it, it's a little bit, you know what some of the your candidates struggle with if you have been taught don't show emotion don't show emotion don't show emotion it's really hard to suddenly tell your body oh no 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 now now we need the emotion come you know bring it um so that particular book might be an interesting and useful read 
for, if you haven't read it, you, I think you might enjoy it for some of the people who are listening. It's called The Body Keeps the Score, and it is by, um, oh, well, this doesn't help, Bessel van der Kolk, K-O-L-K. But anyway. <laughs> we'll, find, we'll, we'll find it. I don't, to, I don't know how to spell that guy's name. Um, any, uh, well, blogs that you follow, of course, we have your blog that I've mentioned here several uh-huh. times, and we we will be linking to that here, and I've sent many people there. Do you have blogs that you follow? Well, more the one person that I listen to on the radio because I think he has one of the most spectacular radio vo- well voices. Period. Full stop. And I love him. Is I listen to on NPR. Uh, there's a show called One A, um, which is stands for the First Amendment. And when I first heard they were doing a show about the First Amendment, I thought, well, snore, I am never going to listen to that. That is how good this guy is. His name is Joshua Johnson. He is one of the best interviewers out there, but his tonal quality is so gorgeous. Just his introduction, like, good morning, this is Joshua Johnson, this is 1A. I could listen to him do that all day. Um, but then he answers, he handles, you know, three guests and, you know, people sending in, you know, questions and Twitter and Facebook and people calling in. He's just really a graceful and interesting interviewer, and he has a beautiful voice. Um, and he's also taught me a lot of phrases that I like to use when people are going on and on and on and I need them to um, stop. Uh, one of which is my favorite one is uh, when someone's just complaining. I say, it sounds, it's a little bit like the weeds have taken over the garden. Okay. <laughs> wow, okay, I have to remember that. He's so good. I love him, yeah. All right, love that. Well, that's probably, they probably, I was going to ask you next one on that. That's probably a well, that answers the podcast one too. I don't know if you're a podcaster, if you have any podcasts that you follow as well. Oh, I love to listen to Hidden Brain. Hidden Brain. Uh, how, in, the hidden. In, it's also on NPR, and it's okay. all about how our brain, like all the ways we end up making these decisions that we think we're making, you know, through rational, you know, and we're completely being triggered by all kinds of forces that we don't recognize. It's a really interesting podcast. I love it. Hidden did you read Rain. Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow by Daniel Kahneman? I did, yeah. yeah he's got some <laughs> of that in there, too, about our habitual roadmaps that we have mm-hmm. that make us go fast. Uh, last question. Um, in, in little, of course, open up if you have anything for me. What have, how have you, what's been some of your hacks that you've been able to to do the last couple of months navigating through COVID-19 and making this productive and positive? I think for me, me, I have a regular um, Ashtanga yoga practice uh, that I've done for 22 years. Uh, And one of the things about that is uh, with Ashtanga, um, you you get on the mat six days a week. Uh, That's non-negotiable. So, you're sad, you get on your mat. You're in the middle of a pandemic, you get on your mat. You're happy, it doesn't matter. The only time you don't get on your mat is fever. Um, <laughs> and that's it. That's really your only get out of jail free card on that one. And I think that having that that particular brand of discipline um, has made all the difference in the world because it sets my day up um, and and gives it that structure. Uh, It's the first thing I do. I roll out of bed. I'm on my mat. It's an hour, an hour and a half. And then, okay. 
Um, so that is that's what I that's what I love to do. That's um, I'm great. guessing I mean, the you know, the mil and those in the military have are strong athletes, so I'm sure they're keeping that 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 alive and well. And I think that it makes all the difference in the world to have that discipline. Yeah, you know, you hear a lot of it's probably a combination of just what you just mentioned. If what I what I know of uh, yoga, uh, being mindful, not specific Ashtanga yoga. I'm not. I've done yoga just more from an app, whether it be my Peloton mm-hmm. app or a yoga app. Um, there's mindfulness, and then there's uh, physical, physical well-being going on, whether it be exercise and stretching. And um, I think that's become a lot of people's. What are the things that they can count on and hold on to amidst all this change? Because even the military, the people that are in the military, it's been hard because they're rotating days. They're some are doing mornings, some are doing nights, um, some are being are stuck. Uh, some place yeah. that they're supposed to be going to, but there's a travel ban they can't move, and it and 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 the the working out and that mindfulness, whether that be in prayer or quiet time, reflection or journaling. Um, I hear a lot of that from the people that we've placed that this is what they're doing, and and they're keeping them centered, and that's the stuff. That's the things that no matter all the stuff that's been changing, and has changed in the world, they've hung on to that. I'm just, Staying physically active and I'm spending time and quiet. Uh, that part has has not changed in in my life, and I think that's what you're saying is be, that is be, that's yeah. become your anchor. That's not going to change for me. It doesn't. And and I was saying my my nephew is stationed um, in Virginia Beach, and he's taken this time to um, learn to play the piano. And he taught himself from YouTube, and I was he sent I was shocked. He sent me a video of him playing the other day. He's, not, he's not gonna have Billy Joel songs, both hands. <laughs> it's like hello, um, but so I think that yes, it's finding or creating uh, for him, in his case a new discipline um, to to give his mind and his body something new to do. Now, is your so, nephew an officer in the yes. Navy as well? Yeah, what he's, rank a, is he's he? a he's a lieutenant, and he's a, a one of the a fighter uh, pilot. Type. Okay, he's gonna be in for a little <laughs> while longer. Now, where did he go to? Where did he go to college? Where did he get his commission? He went to Clemson. Oh wow, yeah, great school. Yeah, yeah. I visited there. And then was your 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 husband? Was he an officer or was he enlisted? He was enlisted, and he was in the okay. Air Force, and he was down in Florida um, okay, in the seventies. And, and my then brother you're... was an officer, and he was in Okinawa. Oh um, wow! Yes. So you, you got everybody covered except for army. So, but that's. I've got that's what, well, I do have a yes. I have a distant cousin's nephew who's in, <laughs> also in the army, but I've never met him. But I love that. Uh, yes, I. I've, um, I try to. I try to. You know, I have love for all the different um, armed forces, and I do fall back so much. If if people look at the books, whether how to wow. Uh, also, my second book, the Wow Factor, has a lot that I. Uh, learned from my brother in there and a lot of different uh, things that I've taken from the military. Um, so, yes. Well, let's wrap up on that. So we got How to Wow, the Wow Fact, the How Wow, wow is your first book, mm-hmm. Strategies for Selling Your Brilliant Self in Any Situation. You've got everything from mm-hmm. presentations and impromptu conversations to the, the lunch interview to the formal interview. Uh, the uh, the wow factor is the other 
the next book in the line? Or why don't you yes. tell the listeners what the other... So there's which, how, it's, a whole wow, it's a whole universe of wow. Um, no, it's how to wow, and then the wow factor. And then the, the one I think that might be most interesting to your audience is wow your way into the job of your dreams. Okay. And that is an ebook, um, or you can get them to print it up and send it to you. Um, and that is only for job interviews. And it's every single thing that I've said on this podcast, plus so much more. Um, and and that's you, a super useful tool for job interviews. And then I also do have the app for the iPhone and the iPad. It's not available for Android, and my apologies. Um, and it's called Interview Wow. And that's free. And it has um, answers to all the worst questions that you could be asked in any situation. And it has a 24-hour countdown clock to help you get prepped uh, 24 hours beforehand. And I did all these crazy videos where we shot them on green screen. And I pop in like bewitched when the interview starts going awry. I hired all my friends to be actors. And I'm like, do you see how that just went poorly? Uh, <laughs> so it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, yeah, and that's free and you can download it. And then you'll just have all the answers on your phone. And then your website is Francis Cole Jones. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, Francis Cole Jones. Uh, dot com. And com. there is on my website, and I love this. Um, and I please, please, everybody, if you want to use it, I would love to help. There's an ask a question button. And all of the questions I am asked roll directly to my cell phone. And so if you have a situation with an interviewer, if anybody has any situation that they're just like, I don't know what on earth they wanted from me in that moment, please send it along because I love things like that. Um, and and I this is and true. I, you do answer your own emails. I emailed you on a Thursday and heard back from you on a Friday that you'd be a guest. Uh, absolutely, because you know what? My, I, under, I understand people are on deadlines. Um, but no, I love, I love my Ask a Question button. And so, um, and the, my favorite thing is when someone sends me something, I'm like, wow, that <laughs> that's different. Because <laughs> um, a lot of weird things happen in interviews, and nobody talks about that. Um, so, yes. <laughs> Francis, you've been amazing. Thank you so oh, much thank for you your so time. Much. I love and, it. And uh, sharing your expertise. And, and I hope to have you back someday. I would love to, to do talk that. Yes, about please. To talk a little bit about uh, some of the the our both of our knowledges of interviewing and helping people be successful, and that's really what the what you do and what we do is helping people become the best version of themselves and help them reach their goals. And I wish you and all that you're doing well as you as we continue to navigate through the all that's happening right now in our country. And and thank you for what you do and for for volunteering to do this as well. I would love to uh, do it, and, we, and we'll also hear about your why you have the airstream, right? When we when the next time? Well, yeah, you want to know right now. My <laughs> goal, my and my wife's not quite on board, All so right, my wife's tell me. not a hundred percent. She's pretty close to on board. So the goal is when I retire, which I've got a ways to go, is to have my airstream, and um, I have a leadership coaching certificate from Northwestern University, graduate certificate in leadership coaching, and I have my um, accreditation through the um, uh, uh, ICF, International Coach Federation. So I get to use that informally here, but I do some formal coaching. But my goal is to travel around the country with my Airstream 
and uh, continue to and use my knowledge for my career and coach leaders. And one of my fellow students that was in my uh, my coaching group when we completed mailed me a um, a model of the of the Airstream and said, don't give up on the dream. My wife's pretty much on board, but I want to sell the house and just live out of the Airstream and drive around the country. She doesn't want to sell the house when it's all said and done. But right. so we're almost there. That's my dream. That's where I'm I going. love it. I think it's a great dream. I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Well, Francis, thank you again thank you so, so much. much. Yeah, right. we'll be in touch. And, okay. uh, and uh, I know maybe you'll start seeing some military officers posting questions on the Francis Cole Jones dot com ask a question site have a great rest of your week thank you you too bye okay bye-bye thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the cameron brooks podcast one of my favorites just spending that time with francis uh during this episode you can check her out at her website as well as uh, check out her book how to wow for more on cameron brooks you can find us at cameron-brooks.com our book pcs to corporate america on amazon as well as you can email me directly at joel at cameron-brooks.com.